Well, church, thank you for gathering today and for bringing the church here into the building. This building is just a building, but when we gather together, uh, it is the place where the church is because we are the church. We are the body of Christ as believers, and we are joined together, and each of us have a role to play. And this morning, we've acknowledged some different people in our church who have had a role to play uh, and, and who will have a role to play in the coming years through our deacons and acknowledging Michael and the Arnetts. But each of us have a role to play in the body of Christ. And so this year, uh, my prayer is for all of us to be able to find that place where God wants to use us to be his hands and feet, to love people with his love and to serve and to encourage others. So thank you, church for being here today and bringing the church into the building. Well, we're starting a new series today. It's called The Heart of Christ. And in this series, it is our goal to know more deeply the heart of Jesus Christ. It's been said that someone's heart reveals the, the deepest reality of who they are. You, you've heard somebody say before, I, I wish you could just know my heart, right? Or maybe we've, we've said about someone, I wish I could know their heart. We, we use other phrases like, you know, maybe if somebody is, is passionate or, or a little emotional, we say they wear their heart on their sleeve, right? We might say about somebody else, well, you know, they're a little rough on the outside, but they really do have a good heart, right? We, we use phrases like that. If someone is kind or generous, we say they have a big heart, we use those words and those phrases because the heart of someone reveals the deepest reality of who they are. We, we use phrases like big heart and, and kind hearted, warm hearted, a good heart. On the other hand, we might say that somebody else has a cold heart or that they're hard hearted. Or even worse, we might describe someone as heartless. Right? Because the heart of someone reveals the deepest reality of who they are for good or for bad. This is why Jesus talked about the heart in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. Here's what Jesus said about the heart and what it reveals to us. Jesus is speaking and he says, A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart, for his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Jesus is teaching us that it is out of our heart that either good or bad comes out through our words and through our actions because the heart reveals the deepest reality of who someone is. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, he was the third king of the nation of Israel, the most successful king as far as wealth and influence and prosperity and even uh, conquest of the kingdom of Israel and peace during his reign. He wrote the book of Proverbs. It's a book of wisdom. And here's what King Solomon tells us in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. He says, guard your heart above all else for it is the source of life. You see, the heart reveals the deepest reality of who someone is. 
And so Jesus told us it is out of our heart that either good or evil comes because it's in our heart. And Solomon tells us we must guard our heart and, and be careful because our heart is the source of life. It's, it's the source of our, our emotions. It's the source of our motivation. It's the source of our will. It's the heart. And so in this series, we want to get to know the heart of Jesus Christ because I believe if we can know his heart, then we can understand the deepest reality of who he is. And there's one passage in Scripture where Jesus reveals to us his heart. Jesus tells us a lot about uh, what it means to follow him. He, he teaches us how to pray. He teaches us what it means to live righteously. He, he challenges us to take up our cross and to follow him and to, to abandon everything to follow him. But there's only one place in Scripture where Jesus tells us about his heart. He reveals his heart to us in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30 was on the little video here just a moment ago, but this text is really going to guide our time for the next several weeks as we look at the heart of Christ. Why don't you stand up with me as we read this morning our, our key text here out of Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Here's what Jesus says. Verse 28, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you for revealing your heart to us through this passage of Scripture. Lord, as we look at these words and study what it means this morning, I, I pray that we would come to understand your heart better and your call for us to come unto you. Lord, for those who need to be encouraged today, I pray that you would encourage them. For those who need to be challenged today, I pray that you would challenge us. For those who do not know you as Savior this morning, I pray that you would draw them to yourself by the power of your Spirit. Lord, speak through your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, thanks, you can have a seat. So we're going to be here in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, where Jesus says, come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Look, many of you have heard that scripture before. It's one of my favorites, just this simple call of Jesus Christ where he just says, come to me, come to me. Come to me, those of you who are weary, who are worn out, who are tired. Those of you who are carrying a heavy burden in life, come to me and let me give you rest, he says. Then he tells us, take my yoke. A yoke is... Um, for those who don't know, yoke is not a word that we use real often anymore. Yoke is a farming term. A yoke is a, is a collar that would go on the back of an oxen or some other farm animal that would pull equipment. So 
Usually there would be a team of oxen, so there would be these two big cows, and they would put a yoke over their shoulders, and, and they would pull a plow, or they would pull a wagon. Jesus says, you can take my yoke upon me, upon yourself, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. We're going to get to that yoke thing in just a minute. You will find rest for your souls, and then he goes on to describe his yoke. He says, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So Jesus reveals that his heart is gentle and lowly. I am gentle and lowly in heart. So first, let's look at what Jesus is not. Because here, when Jesus revealed his heart to us, he, he chose these two specific words, gentle and lowly. I don't believe Jesus very often uh, spoke out of turn. And I don't think Jesus um, let words slip out of his mouth without being certain of what he was saying, without thinking about what he was saying. Jesus probably would have never stood on this stage and told you to stand up and worship when he was supposed to say, hey, we have one more video to watch first. I don't know why they asked me to do that stuff. I always mess it up. But anyway, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to do better. Jesus never said the wrong thing. I mean, I say the wrong thing a lot. And sometimes I, I say things with good intentions. Yeah, absolutely, let's do that. And then I think about it. Oh, that was, that was a bad idea. I shouldn't have said, <laughs> shouldn't have said yes to that. But that's not who Jesus was. His words were thoughtful and measured and perfect. They are, after all, the words of God. Because Jesus is God, very God, from the beginning of time and eternity. So Jesus' words that he revealed to us in this passage were intentional. And Jesus revealed to us that he was gentle and lowly in heart. The core of his heart is gentleness and lowliness. We're going to look at those words in just a minute, but Jesus did not say to us that he is tough and demanding in heart. He could have said that. A lot of us probably think of Jesus that way, tough and demanding in heart, always disappointed with us, always kind of sighing and rolling his eyes when we mess up always frustrated that we can never seem to get it right. A lot of us live our lives that way. I often live my life that way, tough and demanding, frustrated. Oh, oh man. Oh. Anybody ever find themselves that way? Parents, maybe with your kids sometimes, when they spilled the milk again, Oh, I can't believe you did that. Jesus wasn't frustrated, wasn't tough and demanding, and yes, he did call us to forsake all to follow him. But we're gonna look at that a little more, bit more deeply. What, what motivated it was not a tough and demanding heart. He didn't say that he was dignified and distant. I think a lot of us maybe think of him this way. After all, he is God. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But he's not dignified and distant. 
He's not difficult to approach. Maybe sometimes we think that Jesus is so holy, so divine, so otherworldly that he's not interested in us. Doesn't have time for our ridiculous little problems, our hurt feelings. And we just think, suck it up. <laughs> but Jesus never said, suck it up. Was, he's not tough and demanding at heart. He's not dignified and distant in heart. He, he, he didn't even tell us that he was joyful and generous at heart. He told us that he was gentle and lowly in heart. So let's look at these couple of words, gentle and lowly. The word gentle in Greek is, is, occurs four other times, or three other times rather, in the New Testament. Four times total, including Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Jesus uses the same word in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 when he says, blessed are the meek. This word for gentle is translated meek, and he goes on to say the meek will inherit the earth. In Matthew chapter 21, it's uh, as Jesus is entering Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and there's a prophecy about a king who will come gentle riding on a donkey. The word again is translated gentle or humble here in Matthew 21. And then in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 4, Peter describes a gentle and quiet spirit, and that same word occurs, and it's translated gentle. When Jesus tells us that he is gentle and hearty, he's saying that he's gentle, that he's meek, that he's humble. It's who Jesus is. He's gentle. The second word is the word lowly. And it very much kind of goes hand in hand with the word gentle. Lowly occurs several times in the New Testament, and many times it's translated humble. But it's not about a humble attitude, but rather a humble condition. Mary in, in Luke chapter one, when she's praying and thanking God that he chose her, a prayer of obedience for allowing her to be the mother of Jesus Christ, she says that God lifts up those of a lowly estate, a, a lowly place in life. They find themselves kind of at the bottom of the pecking order. That's what this word lowly describes. In 2 Corinthians, the word is translated cast down. Someone, maybe the circumstances of life or, or maybe their position in life has kind of cast them down to the bottom. In Romans chapter 12, Paul says, associate with the humble. He says, don't think of yourselves too highly, but rather associate with those of, of humble estate, of humble origins. It's people who find themselves not at an elevated status in life, but a humble status in life. And when Jesus tells us that he is gentle and lowly, He's, he's describing not only his demeanor, his attitude, his spirit through the word gentle, but also his position through the word lowly. The God of the universe chose to position himself among the lowly. That's why it's so important to understand that Jesus was born in a manger, raised by peasants. 
When people sought to follow him, Jesus said, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So these two words together, gentle and lowly, tell us something about Jesus. They tell us that he is infinitely accessible. That he is infinitely accessible. That we can indeed come to him when he calls us to come to him. He's the kind of guy that's easy to come to. We've all been around the kind of people that are easy to talk to, easy to approach. And on the other hand, we've also all been around people who are difficult to approach. Maybe you've met somebody in life, maybe, maybe a, a celebrity or somebody that you really looked up to and, and you wanted to make sure you had everything together just right, right? You wanted to say the right thing. You didn't want to embarrass yourself and say the wrong words. You wanted to make sure you were wearing the right clothes, that you looked just the right way. And when you walked up, you wanted to, to present yourself in a, in a polished and poised way so that they would be impressed with you and you thought all about it, and then the first words that came out of your mouth, you must, hello, uh, right? Because we just get ourselves caught up in, in the approach. Many of us have met people like that. Maybe, maybe some of you husbands back in the day, the first time you met your wife's parents, <laughs> right? You know, you, maybe her dad was sitting on the front porch with his shotgun, I don't know, right? You know the stories. There are people who are difficult to approach. Maybe your boss is one of those people. Every time you gotta talk to your boss, you are just so nervous to go into her office or his office. They're difficult to approach. Jesus says, I am gentle and lowly. Come to me. I'm easy to approach. That's why in the Gospels, when the children were coming up to Jesus and the disciples said, no, get these kids away. Jesus said, no, let the kids come to me. You can't fool kids, right? The kids even wanted to come to Jesus because he was gentle and lowly. He was easy to approach. The, the look in his eyes, the demeanor of his posture, he was gentle and lowly, easy to come to, infinitely approachable. All throughout the Gospels, even sinners, the outcasts of society, they wanted to come to Jesus. The lepers who were not allowed to approach people in Scripture, in Jewish law, lepers were considered not only physically unclean, but spiritually unclean, and so they were not welcomed into the assembly of God's people. In fact, they had to warn people from a distance with a, a little bell. History tells us, unclean, 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 stay away from me. We, we have a little bit of a sense of that, right, in our quarantine COVID culture. If you walk in the store and somebody <clears throat> just clears their throat a little bit, you go, oh, unclean, unclean. But they weren't afraid to approach Jesus because he was gentle and lowly. He was infinitely approachable. When they saw him, they didn't feel like they needed to ring their bell and say, unclean, unclean, because there was just something about the look in his eyes 
and the demeanor of his posture. <laughs> they ran to him, Scripture tells us, and fell on their knees before him. And he didn't roll his eyes. He didn't scoff. He didn't say, what are you doing over here? He touched them, these people who were unclean. He, he touched them. He put his hands on them and blessed them and healed them. You may have heard the story of the woman who was caught in adultery. The religious leaders dragged this woman out in front of Jesus, and they said, Jesus, this woman is, was caught in the act of sexual sin, adultery. What are you going to do about it? And it tells us that Jesus knelt down. He knelt down as this woman is thrown on the ground before him, and he begins to write in the dust. And at the end... When everyone has walked away, Jesus says, woman, where are those who accuse you? And she says, you're the only one left. And he says, I don't accuse you. Go and sin no more. Because he was infinitely accessible. He was down in the dirt with her. The story of the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. This is a woman, again, who was on the outskirts of even her own town. The rest of the ladies in town didn't like her. She was considered a little unclean, a little unwelcomed. And so she would come to the well late in the day when nobody else was there who would talk about her and look at her and point at her. And Jesus sits next to her and asks for a drink and begins to have a discussion with her that leads to the passage that we just read in John 4 as he explains to her that God is calling for worshipers. And true, Jesus points out the sin in her life, but even as he does that, she doesn't feel judged. But rather, this gentle and lowly Savior calls her to repent and to come to him, and she does because he is gentle and lowly. It should also describe the people who follow Jesus. Just as a little side note, when people come to this church, they should never be worried about, I wonder what they're gonna think about me. I wonder if anybody's gonna look at me funny. I wonder if they're gonna roll their eyes at me. I wonder if they're gonna judge me. Jesus was gentle and lowly in spirit. He was infinitely approachable. He had time for people. I don't know, maybe you remember the story where Jesus comes into the city of Capernaum and a religious leader comes to him and says, Jesus, my daughter is sick and she needs to be healed. And while Jesus is walking to the house to heal the little girl, another woman comes and touches Jesus' robe and She's healed of a, of a bleeding disease that she had had for 12 years. And Jesus stops to find out who she was, and the disciples say, Jesus, there's people everywhere. We don't have time. Come on. But Jesus takes the time to talk to this woman, to bless her, because he's gentle and lowly. He's accessible. He has time for us. Jesus' most natural posture is open arms. 
Jesus' most natural posture is, is open arms as he says, come to me. It's not folded arms. It's not pointed fingers. But it's open arms as he says, come to me. All of you who are weary, come to me, those of you who are heavy, laid, and burdened down, and I will give you rest. Well, okay, you might say, that's nice, but that's not all there is to Jesus. He is holy, and he is righteous, and he does call us to take up our cross, and one day he will judge, and all of those things are absolutely true. But if we want to understand the reality of the judgment of Christ, if we want to understand the reality of Jesus Christ's call to come and follow him and take up our cross, if we want to understand the reality of his holy and righteousness, we must understand it through the lens of his heart. His gentle and lowly spirit is what motivates his call for us to abandon all and follow him because he knows what's best for us. And he wants what's best for us. Even in his judgment, Jesus' heart for us is gentle and lowly. The story you may remember of the rich young ruler, it occurs in Mark chapter 10. There was a, a man who was rich, who was young, and who was a ruler. In other words, he had everything going for him. He had money. He had youth. Oh, to be young again, we often say. And he was a ruler. He had influence. He had power. Everything that our culture tells us will bring happiness. And yet he comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what, what does it take? How do I enter the kingdom of heaven? How can I be a part of your kingdom? And Jesus says, keep the commandments. And he says, done, I've done it. Not only am I rich, young, and a ruler, I'm also a really good guy. And Jesus, in Mark chapter 10, verse 21, it tells us that Jesus, looking at him, Jesus loved him and said, you lack one thing, go sell all you have and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come, follow me. Even as Jesus is calling him to abandon everything else to follow him, it's not because Jesus is tough and demanding. It's because Jesus loves him. Right? This passage said Jesus looked and he loved him. And then he said, let go of those things and follow me because I've got something better. Even Jesus' call, his demanding call on our lives comes from his gentle and lowly heart. Matthew chapter 11, where we find this passage, come to me, all who are weary, heavy laden, I will give you rest. My, take my yoke upon you. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. Just a few verses before Jesus says these words, Jesus is pronouncing judgment. Matthew chapter 11, verse 20 says, Jesus proceeded to denounce the towns where most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Jesus had gone through the region of Galilee and done miracles in all these towns and, and, and many people did not receive him. They did not come to him. 
And so verse 21, he says, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were done and you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes long ago. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. To be clear, Jesus will judge. This passage where Jesus pronounces judgment on these cities I think it's important that it it occurs right there in Matthew chapter 11, and then just a few verses later, after he says, woe to you, woe to you, he says, come to me, come to me. That even Jesus' judgment is motivated by love, because he knows that the things that we pursue that are not him will never satisfy that those things will keep us separated from him. And so he judges righteously. But we must understand his judgment through the lens of his gentle and lowly heart. And here's the thing. Jesus is gentle and lowly, but he's not gentle and lowly to everyone indiscriminately. Jesus is gentle and lowly in heart. But remember verse 28, how it starts. Come to me. Come to me. Come to me if you're weary. Come to me if life has burdened you down. And if you will come to me, I will give you rest. You can take my yoke upon you. You can learn from me because I am gentle and lowly in heart. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me. If you want to experience the gentle, lowly heart of Christ, then you must come to him. He is gentle and lowly in heart. But in order to experience that reality, we must come to him. We must come to him. And yet, we resist. Why do we resist? Well, I think a lot of times it, it's because we don't want anybody to tell us what to do. I mean, I, I'm the master of my own life. I don't want to serve anybody. But of course, the deception is that we all serve something. We all serve something. We all worship something. We all make something the priority of our life. For a lot of us, we make ourselves the God of our life. And you are a lousy God, and I am a lousy God. We will always disappoint ourselves. The things that the world and the culture tells us will satisfy power, prestige, wealth. These things will always let us down. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. But what about this where he, you know, he, he tells me I got to put his yoke on. <laughs> I'm not going to let anybody put a yoke on me. I mean, put a leash on me? That doesn't sound gentle and lowly. That sounds stupid. I mean, who's going to put a yoke on their back? I, I, I heard a pastor describe it this way. A drowning man doesn't complain about the yoke of a life preserver, right? Don't throw that thing at me. Can't you see I'm drowning over here? I mean, I'm struggling enough as it is. You want me to put that thing over my shoulders? Like, that would be dumb. Jesus is the creator and sustainer and source of life. The one who came to give us life abundantly and yet we want to do life on our own terms and we say, get out of here with that yoke stuff. I heard another pastor say, it's like a tree who says, I want to be unburdened by the reality of the soil. Just pull me up out of the soil so I'm free to go where I want to. And of course, a tree pulled out of the soil will die. Or a fish who says, I want to be unburdened of the reality of the water. I want to be up there on land. Like, you know, it's like the little mermaid. I want to go where the people go. <laughs> if you pull a fish out of water, the fish dies. Or a train that says, I'm tired of going on these tracks. Get me off the track so I can go where I want to go. Of course, if that train is not on the tracks, it can't go anywhere. And when we say, I don't want the yoke of Jesus Christ on my life, I don't want that burdening me. When we will take his yoke upon us, we can learn from him. He's gentle and lowly in heart. We can find rest for our souls, not just rest for our bodies, but rest for our souls, deep, soul-satisfying rest. I mean, a good night's sleep is great, I mean, when you're really tired, when you really worked hard, to be able to get rest for your body is great. But to be able to get rest for your souls, that you're not chasing after the wind, that you're not chasing after everything and never being satisfied. Rest for your souls, Jesus says, because his yoke is easy. That word easy, the Greek word is often translated kind in the New Testament. His yoke is kind. It's a yoke to be sure. We must be in Christ in order to experience the reality of all that Christ has to offer us. But it's a yoke that is kind from a Savior who is gentle and lowly. And his burden 
is light. There are burdens that we carry in this life. Weights that are soul-crushing. Guilt, pain, despair, hopelessness. But his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And so he says this morning, come to me. Come to me. And maybe you are here this morning and you've never come to Jesus Christ as Savior. God's word says that we are all sinners. That means that we have all committed acts and done things that are motivated by our own selfish desires. Those sins are ultimately sins against God because he created us in his image. And when we pursue our own will instead of his will, that's sin. It's rebellion against the God of the universe. And that sin separates us from him. The Bible goes on to tell us that the penalty for that sin is death. Not only physical death that we all experience, but spiritual death. Separation from God for eternity place the Bible calls hell. The penalty for sin is death, but Scripture goes on to say the gift of God is eternal life, life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If we want to experience that life, Jesus says, you can have it if you will come to me. Come to me. And this morning, maybe you have never come to Jesus in faith and asked him to be your savior. Today can be your day. Yeah, but I don't, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to stop doing all the stuff I want to do. <laughs> it's like the fish who wants to live on land instead of in water. He is gentle and lowly. If we can understand this reality, that his call to us, his call to abandon all to follow him, to repent and to follow him, his call to take up our cross and follow him, it's, it's not because he's a bossy pants. It's because he knows what's best and he wants what's best. Come to him, come to him. Believer, follower of Jesus, are there any areas of your life that you haven't given to him? Maybe you've put your faith in Jesus, but there's still a few places that you're trying to hold on to. There's still a few places where you don't want to take that yoke upon you. There's still a few places where you're trying to do it your own way. The result of that is the exhaustion of your soul. <laughs> and the remedy is to come to him and you will find rest for your soul. Maybe there's some of you in just the burdens of life. The difficulty of the past year 
the difficulty of a strained relationship, the difficulty of sickness, the difficulty of financial burdens is undermining your confidence. And this morning, the Savior says, come to me, come to me, come to me. Why don't you stand up as we pray today? Lord Jesus, thank you for your call to us that we can come to you. Thank you that your heart for us is gentle and lowly. That you are not high up on a pedestal pointing at us, but you are near, reaching out with open arms, calling us to come to you. So Lord, I pray for those this morning who need to be encouraged through the love of a gentle and lowly Savior. That the reality and difficulties of this life are burdening them down. Pray today that they would come to you and find rest. Lord, I, I pray for those, God, who are maybe living in rebellion against you. There are areas of their life that they just won't let go of, that they won't give you control of, that they won't bring to you. And Lord, they're struggling. They don't have the joy and the peace that you promised. And this morning, I pray that they would come to you, that they would take your yoke Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning who's never come to you as Savior. They've never turned from their sin and doing life their own way and turned to you for salvation. Lord, I pray that even in this moment through your Holy Spirit, you would draw them to yourself. God, I pray that they would respond in faith this morning. Church, with your heads bowed and eyes closed, I, I just want to ask you real quick a, a couple of questions as we pray. First, the question is to those who maybe are just struggling with the difficulties of life, the difficulties of this season of life. Maybe there's some difficulties, some burdens that you're carrying that you would say, today I, I need to come to Jesus and lay those difficulties, those burdens down I'm struggling and, and I want to give those things to the Lord today. If that's you, I would just ask you to raise your hand so I can pray for you this morning. Anybody like that just says, I'm facing a difficult season in life and I need to bring it to Jesus this morning. Anybody like that? Praise the Lord. Amen. Anybody else this morning? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Anybody else that maybe you would be honest enough to say, uh, I've put my faith in Jesus, but there's some areas in my life that I keep control of, some areas that I won't turn over to him, some areas where I won't take his yoke, and I know it. Today, I want to give those things to him. 
Anybody like that? Would you be willing to raise your hand so I can pray for you this morning? Anybody like that? Amen, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. Anybody else like that this morning? Finally, I, I want to ask if there's anybody who says, today I need to come to Jesus for salvation. Never put my faith in Jesus as Savior. I recognize this morning that my sin separates me from God, and I want Jesus as Savior. Today I want to come to him as Savior. Anybody like that this morning that would raise your hand and say, I, I need to know Jesus as Savior? Anybody at all? Anybody like that in the room? Praise the Lord. Well, as we just sing a song to focus our mind on the heart of Jesus this morning, I invite you to respond. Some of you may want to respond by coming down here to the front and having a time of prayer and, and maybe just physically coming to the front and laying those burdens down this morning. If you need to know Jesus as Savior, I'll be right down here in the front. I would love to pray with you and show you how you can come to Jesus today. So Lord, help us to respond as you call us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing, I invite you to respond.